Israelites and how that battle uh, was symbolic of a battle that we all face. And that is the battle that we, we struggle with from within. Uh, it's called having a sinful nature. And you might remember that we said that everybody has it. This is what makes Jesus unique from anyone who was ever born. Jesus did not have a sinful nature because the sinful nature is passed on through Adam. All of Adam's descendants have a sinful nature. Look at, look at, your, look, look at your brother next to you and say, you have a sinful nature because you're a child of Adam, just like me, okay? Son or daughter, we are all descendants of Adam. We believe that there was one original couple, Adam and Eve, and over thousands upon thousands of years, I don't believe millions, but that's just me, that we have all these people and all these cultures and all that, so that's all right. We are all related if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve. So the sinful nature, because Adam and Eve sinned, is passed on through Adam. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. Ah, the sinful nature was not passed on to him. He skipped that. Therefore, Jesus never sinned. Think about this. Jesus never sinned in word or in thought or in deed, in anything that he did. He never sinned. One sin that Jesus would have done disqualifies him as our Savior. He is unique. There is no one else like him. There are many who claim to be religious and many who claim to be spiritual and claim to bring truth from God, but they are not like Jesus because he never sinned, ever. Can you say amen to that? That makes him unique. So we have this issue within us called the flesh or the sinful nature. Paul the Apostle said, I don't do the things that I do want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Who will rescue me from this? And his implication was Jesus Christ, the sinless one. And so in Exodus 17, there was this battle that was going on, and you remember that Moses climbed up on a hill, and as long as his arms were raised up, the people of Israel experienced victory, but his arms got heavy, and so uh, Aaron and Hur came alongside of him, and they put like a rock, they put a rock under him to sit down, and then they helped lift up his arms, and the people of Israel had the victory, okay? And so that's symbolic of the victory that we have in Jesus when we lift up Jesus in our lives. Moses lifted up his staff. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to you. And please don't forget, Jesus is not American. I, 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 I just drives me crazy when I see a picture of Jesus and he looks like a surfer from Newport Beach. I'm like, that is not what Jesus looked like. That dude is so Anglo. He's like totally American, right? No, you know, no, we don't even know what Jesus looked like, but he certainly didn't look like that, you know. Anyway, uh, there are various reasons why, why people did that. Okay, so let me read this to you, all right? Um, I thought this was kind of interesting, and it ties into what we're going to talk about. Today is kind of part two of what we talked about last week, because I just didn't feel like we were finished, all right? Uh, this is from a website called Juneteenth.com. How many know what Juneteenth is? You've heard of it. Okay, you, you, you've heard about it. You know what it is. Here's what it says. Juneteenth is the oldest known 
uh, celebration commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. Dating back to 1865, it was on June 19th that the Union soldiers, led by General Gordon Granger, landed at Galveston, Texas, with the news that the war had ended, that the enslaved were now free. Two and a half years after uh, President um, Lincoln's Emancipation of Proclamation had become official, January 1st, 1963. So the Emancipation Proclamation had little impact on the Texans due to the minimal number of Union troops to enforce the new executive order. However, with the surrender of General Lee in April of 1865 and the arrival of General Granger's regiment, the forces were finally strong enough to influence and overcome the resistance, okay? Two and a half years later, and so President Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, and yet these slaves, and, and these were the last group of slaves that were set free. Now, we understand that even after that, they still weren't free, you know, and it was still lots of wars and battles over all of that, but at least they were free. So here are a group of people who are enslaved and yet are judiciously free, but they don't know it. They don't know it. And they could have left. They could have gone wherever they wanted to go. And many of them did. Many of them especially moved out of the South and moved up to yeah, the northern parts of America where there was a little bit more liberalism when it came uh, to black people. But, but they were free according to the laws of the land but they did not know it. And it's a picture of Christians who are free in Jesus and free from sin and free from bondage, but do not know it. Do not know it. And so we talked about the flesh last week. The flesh is, uh, uh, sets itself against the spirit, and the spirit sets itself against the flesh. These two are at odds or in opposition with one another. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember, Peter was sleeping in the garden of Gethsemane. His spirit was right, but his flesh was weak. We read about how Amalek would always be the enemy of Israel, so the flesh would always be our enemy. We read about how the, 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 the Amalekites would never stop, so our flesh never stops. We talked about how for us to win this battle against the flesh, it would take a miracle and fortunately, we have the miracle in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to you tonight about four areas of accountability. Four areas of accountability. Who can give me a good working definition of accountability? Raise your hand. This is, this is you know, I talk, you talk. Being on time, that's an example, okay? That's close. No, that's good. Accountability. That's good. Yeah. Responsibility for your actions. Yeah. Being responsible means you must be accountable to someone, right? Probably, if you're responsible. What else? Anybody else? No, being on time is, like, if I have a job, I'm accountable to my boss to be there on time. Being accountable, being responsible, accountability and responsibility, taking care of your kids. Be, me being a pastor and you being a follower of Jesus. 
Yeah, accountable in, in sharing the word. Paul said, uh, 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 James said, not many of you should be teachers because you face a stricter judgment. In other words, you know, don't say it if you don't live it. And that's hard. <laughs> Being a woman or a man of your word, whenever you speak your word, you redeem your word when you do what you say you will do. See, that's why God always redeems his word, because he always does what he says he will do. Accountability, that's good. Accountability is having another brother that you link arms with, another sister that you link arms with, you know, so that you don't walk this walk alone. Someone who will hold you accountable in your areas of weakness, which we all have. And so we're taking what we learned last week, and we're going to take it to a whole another and a practical level. Four areas of accountability, the heart, the mind, the word, and with one another. The heart, the mind, the word, and with one another. Here's why we need to have accountability, or we need to, we need to cause our heart to be accountable. Here's what I mean by that. What you do with your heart determines what you do with your life. What you do with your heart determines what you'll do with your life. Now, what do we mean by heart? Because the Greeks had a way of separating the heart from the mind. But the Hebrews had a much, much fuller definition of what the heart meant. Um, and there are three different metaphors of bodily organs regarding the heart. Because when I say, when I say, you know what, man, my heart wasn't in it, I'm not talking about my, my literal heart that's pumping blood, you know. I mean, my heart better be in it or I won't be alive. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? And so uh, one of those metaphors was uh, the heart, or leb or lebab. And, and we kind of have the expression that is similar to that when we say, you know, my heart wasn't in it. That, that's kind of the Hebrew definition of heart. Or when we say, you know, like um, uh, that person, they're heartless. Well, no, they have to have a heart because they wouldn't be alive if their heart wasn't beating. But it means that, that there's, there's something in the character of that person that's not good. Ah, that person has a good heart. Why is that? Well, that's because it has to do with more than just the heart. And this is that, this is that, that, that kind of thinking, yes. The mind, the connection between the mind and the heart. You, can't, you, you, you cannot separate the mind and the heart. Because here's the next thing. The, the other Hebrew metaphor when they meant the heart was the mind. And so they meant, they meant uh, the, the, the literal heart as a metaphor, but they also meant the literal mind. And so Proverbs uh, uh, 12, 11 says, He who pers pursues vain things lacks sense. And the word they use there is the word for heart. Okay? Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. That has to do with the mind and the connection between the mind and the heart. They also use sense or emotion regarding the heart. Right? Um, Leb expresses the whole array of emotions, both good or bad. It is said in 2 Samuel 17 that David had the heart of a lion. Okay? Uh, our word for carriage, or courage, is from the French word for heart. And it says in 1 Samuel 2 that Hannah rejoiced in her heart. Well, what does that mean? It means her emotions, right? Or her senses. Here, God in Genesis 45, 26, was grieved in his heart. See, that has to do with strong emotion. 
And so when we talk about the heart, we're talking about these metaphors of, of the literal heart, although not literal. We're talking about the intellect or the mind. We're talking about the emotion or the seat of the emotions. And then we talk about the will. Okay, so the will encompasses the mind and this thing we call the heart. So the heart makes decision, decisions that expresses a person's will. Moses said he was following the Lord's plans in all his works, and they were, uh, and, and, and he was not doing, not his own doing, but he followed the Lord from the heart. That's an expression of the will. When you say, that sister there follows the Lord with all her heart. Well, well that has to encompass the will, the decision-making entity within us. Mark 3, 5, Jesus says, after looking around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so here's the thing about the heart. And this is where when Jesus said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, he meant this entity of the heart, this, this, this non-material thing within us. And, and so we have to, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Guard your heart against what? Against criticalness. Against complaining. Guard your heart against defensiveness. Guard your heart against biblical truth. Uh, uh, where you, you begin to get a hard heart towards somebody or something. Yeah? And so we have to, we have to check ourselves regularly. That's what, that's what that means. We have to we have to, our, our, our heart has to be accountable to God. And we have to check ourselves and say, hey Lord, is there anything within me that is, that is out of order with you? Uh, because it could become a foothold or a stronghold, and it emanates from the heart. I mean, hate emanates from the heart. Anger is an emotion, there's that Hebrew word again, that emanates from the heart that, comes, that goes together with the will. See, if I've got an anger issue, I've got a heart issue. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Well, we're going to talk about what that means in the context of anger. And so we have the senses or the emotions. We have the will. Uh, we, have, we have the, the mind, uh, the intellect, and, and we have the heart. And all that, we have to guard our heart. We are, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful above all creatures. And so we have to guard our hearts against seeds of bitterness, roots of bitterness, things that, that, that will con, con try to drag us away from God. We have to guard our hearts towards people, people close to us. So then how do you do that? You have to check yourself regularly. Check yourself regularly. So that's the heart, okay? Now the mind. The mind has to be accountable to the word of the Lord. The heart has to be accountable to the word. Now the mind. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10.3. I don't know if it's on the back page of your notes. Yeah, there it is. All right, 2 Corinthians 10.3 on the back page that I handed you out. And it says, it is true, we live in a body of flesh. Now, when he's talking about flesh, he doesn't mean like bones and arteries and hair and, you know, that. he, 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 he means more spiritual. But we do not fight like people of this world. We do not use those things to fight with that the world uses. 
We use the things God gives to fight with, and they have power. Okay, so so just to, just to understand that if we are going to walk this walk, we need to plug into a power source that is not natural but supernatural, and and that can only come from God. And, and so, so when there's opposition, we don't fight with our knees and our elbows and our fists. We fight with spiritual weapons because you can't fight a spiritual war with physical weapons. And that's what, the, that's what our adversary, the enemy, always wants us to do. He wants to drag us into the flesh. He wants to drag us into fighting these things by ourselves or with our own abilities where we will lose every time, where the Holy Spirit's desire is to push us and to see things the way things really are so that we will say, wait a minute, that's not by, uh, I'm not wrestling against uh, uh, flesh and blood, but there's powers and rulers and principalities. There's a flesh inside of me that I'm warring against, and I can't fight it with natural means but with supernatural means. Okay? So we use the things God gives to fight with, and they have power. Those things God gives to fight with destroy the strong places with the strongholds of the devil. Verse 5 says, we break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself up against the wisdom of God. And here's the key. We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Our thoughts need to be captive and accountable to the word of Christ. Our thoughts. Now you think, you know what? There is no way to do that. Because you know, these things emanate from a sinful nature and from the heart. They infiltrate the mind, and if we let it percolate in our mind, it'll become a sinful action. And so first he says, guard your heart, and then check your mind. Guard your mind. Do you know that we do not have to think the thoughts that we think? But what happens, our flesh loves to think thoughts like that. You know, we, we think about hurting somebody that cut us off, and, and our mind just goes way overboard and then we let it perk and then we get and then we come home and we're all mad and hot and bothered like what happened to you you never believe what happened and 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 because we didn't take our thoughts captive and 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 how do you do that how do you train your way of thinking being born again is all about living in another dimension and so we have to begin to train ourselves to think differently we don't think the way we used to think Paul says, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been, you're not that, you have to, we are not the same person that we were before Christ. We have a new nature. Jesus said we are born again. The scripture says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. And so what's the newness? It's still, we're still the same person, but now we have a new nature. And that nature is the spirit of the Lord that lives within us. And so we take our thoughts captive. You know what that's like. You know when you're driving down the road and you get some crazy thought in your mind about hurting somebody or some thought that you know you shouldn't be thinking, and you catch yourself, you go, oh, I can't believe I, what was I thinking, right? I'm telling you, I'm driving down the road today, and my mind went, woo! And it was like I was in a trance. And I was like, wait a minute, okay, okay, eh, now get that thought out of there. Not going down that road. That's taking your thoughts captive. How do you do that? Write this down. If I didn't put it in here, I might have Acts, A-C-T-S. 
Oh, I did. Looky there. Acts. Not ask. Acts. Did you ask them? What do you mean, Acts? No. I asked them. How do we do that? Acts. A-C-T-S. First of all, <laughs> acknowledge. A, acknowledge. Acts. Acknowledge any strongholds. Because if you're going to pull down a stronghold, you have to acknowledge that it's there. Right? You have to say, I have this issue right here. I have a stronghold of anger in my life. I have a stronghold of bitterness in my life. I have a stronghold of, you fill in the blank. You have to acknowledge that. You cannot tear down something you don't acknowledge. So you go to God and pray and say, Lord, what, what, what strongholds do I have in my life? And the Holy Spirit shows you. And then you begin to tear them down. So first is acknowledging any stronghold. A. C is choose. You have to choose not to go there, right? There comes a point where you, you step over the line. You know, you get close to the line, and at some point, you either have to turn back or you step right over it. And that's because you made a choice that emanated from the heart. So you have to choose. So I have this thought that comes into my mind. It could be a potential stronghold. I acknowledge, Lord, there's a stronghold in my mind right now, and I'm choosing not to think that. And, you know, you can actually do that. You don't have to think the thoughts that you think. See, before I was a Christian, I didn't know that. I just thought the thoughts that I thought. And I didn't think that I didn't need to think them. It just came so natural to think those thoughts. And then I get a new nature, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't think that way because you've got a new nature. Now you don't have to think the way you used to think. And I go, huh, could have had a V8. That's right. I don't have to just blindly allow my mind to go wherever it wants to go because now my mind is accountable to the Word of God. So I choose not to go there. Now here's the key. Truth. T. What truth have you memorized to overcome sin? When I was a youth pastor, I used to talk to kids. You know, I, I noticed that kids seem to be angry a lot. Maybe it's still the same. I don't know. A lot of kids with anger problems. And then I realized a lot of men had some anger issues. And I realized I had anger issues. And I realized my dad had major anger issues. And it was almost like, man, is anybody not angry? <laughs> you know? I mean, everybody's mad at something. Oh, man. But, but I began to recognize that anger is an emotion. There's one of those Hebrew words, sense or sensibility or emotion. Anger is an emotion that's not wrong. It's just if it's manifested wrong. And so I heard someone say that when you feel the emotion of anger coming on you, you have a choice to make because it's a stronghold in your life. It could be, it was, it, I'm telling you, it was an absolute stronghold in my father's, a chokehold in my dad's life. But, you know, we never knew it. I mean, I was just a kid, and he wasn't a Christian, so he, I mean, not to my knowledge. You know, he, he, he didn't know. And, and so his anger owned him. Mad at everything. Everything. Couldn't even talk to the man. Could not talk to him. Children are seen and not heard. And, my, and when I was growing up, you My kids, blah, 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 blah. Not in my house. Dad will look at you. <laughs> Can I go to the bathroom? No! Sorry. You know? Man. And so if that's a particular issue, acknowledge as a stronghold. And then when that feeling of anger starts to come upon you, what do you do? That's the key. What 
do you do? Because you either let it, well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I have anger issues. No, you choose to be angry. It's an emotion. I never heard someone say, well, you know, I just have love issues. And that's an emotion too, right? I just, I can't help it. I just have to love people. Oh, no one ever says that. It's always about these bad things. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just angry. Well, no, you choose to be angry. And that anger is a stronghold. And so what truth have you memorized to overcome that? Because Hebrews 4.12 says this. The word of God right here, this right here, the word of God is what? Living and active. Here's what that means. This is not Shakespeare. This is not the writings of Confucius, no disrespect. This is not the writings of some spiritual leader. This, this is the writings of this book is living and active and active and is every bit as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And every time you read this book, it's the only book like this, every time you read it, the author of the book is there to help you understand what it says by his spirit. So the word of God, the word that God speaks, Hebrews 4.12, is alive and full of power. And the Amplified Bible says, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. That's what God's word is. See, that's why faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, read his word. Read it every day. Get God's word in your heart. You want to learn the character of God. You want to know God. Boy, read his word. I was listening to a testimony by um, uh, Brian Head Welch. And if you're a corn fan, you know who Brian Head Welch is. He got radically saved. And he went on this whole, he, he, he was saying, I just want to know God. I don't want to know religion. I just want to know God. I want to know his character. I want to know what he likes, what he doesn't like. I want to, man, I just want to, I want to. And so he signed up for this, like, theology school. And so he, he goes back because he left corn. and said, I'm out, man. I can't do this anymore. And then, and then he felt like the Lord was telling him to go back. And so Corn was like, yeah, come on, man. He goes, you don't understand, dude. I'm in a theology school right now. There's going to be days that I can't make a concert. And they go, don't worry about it. We'll work with you. <laughs> yeah, Brian Hell Welch couldn't be here today because he's studying Exodus or whatever, you know. And it turns out one of the other members of the band got born again now. Dropping like flies, Miss Melba. The word of the Lord is, what's he saying? He said, God, I want to know your word because I know your character when I know your word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating and dividing to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit. So between, between our, our, our emotions and God, the spirit of the Lord and, it, and the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature. See, the word of God doesn't just penetrate our brain it goes into the very core essence of who we are i mean it it, it penetrates our souls and our spirits this not not just the body that the word of god penetrates into the deepest part of who we are parts that are dark parts parts that are dead parts and it brings them back to life Parts that we don't even know are there, and it speaks to us. Sharper than a two-edge, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life and the spirit. That's, 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 you know, 
that, that's deep. You know, you know, you know, girl, I want to, I, I want to I, I know you from the, the very breath and spirit of who you are. She'd be like, what? <laughs> that's too deep, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The joints and the marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purpose. Ah, so the word of God is, is what judges my thoughts and my purposes and my heart. Okay, so I need God's word. Okay, so I acknowledge I have a stronghold. I choose. And so, for example, if you have an anger issue, you have to memorize scriptures that speak against anger. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Uh, what specific, whatever your sin is, what are the specific word, words of the Lord that you could memorize so when it comes on you, it, you choose to evoke the word of God and you walk in victory? It's truth because the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. But here's what you have to do. You have to surrender to that or submit to that. That's the S in, in Acts. You have to submit to that word. Because there have been times when I'm, when I'm going down this way and I'm thinking, man, I know what your word says, and, but I don't invoke the word. <laughs> it has to be resident in my mind, in my heart. And if I'm in the word, it'll be resident in my heart and my mind. So that's how you bring your mind in check with the spirit. Let me just say this. We're not sinless. But this is how we fight the war. It doesn't mean you're going you're gonna to bat a thousand. You're not. John says, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. So we all sin. But this is how you walk in victory. Okay, the last thing is accountability to one another. Accountability to another. I have a pastor friend, great guy, great guy. Man, he built a humongous church, humongous church, never preached in it because he had a moral failure before he ever could preach in it. Had a moral failure. And I would spend some time with him because I wanted to find out, man, what were you thinking? Right? Now I've learned this. I live in a glass house, so I don't throw no stones. That old song was right. <laughs> don't be... <laughs> Yeah. You think you all that? Yeah, watch. I don't judge nobody. You know, the old saying is when you point your finger at someone else, you got three pointing back at you. These three right here. All right? And so I said to him, I said, man, I go, didn't you have account? Wasn't there someone in your life that knew? Didn't you have accountability? I mean, how could you go that far and that high and not have account. How could you do that? He goes, I had accountability, but no one person knew everything. And I went, wow. And so we had a moral failure. And here's what he did. He called up three or four, I can't remember, other pastors. And he said, I want to meet with you guys every week. And these are men that he had close relationships with, men that were broken over his sin. He said, I want to meet with you every week for the next six months. And they said, we'll do it. And then after six months, I want to meet with you every other week. 
for another six months or whatever it was. I'm not sure of the exact time, but you get the point. And they don't meet with you every month. And I want you guys to ask me all the hard questions, and I'm going to be accountable to you. And he said this. He goes, and I will not preach the word again or minister again until y'all tell me that I can. And if it never happens, it never happens. And they said, all right. That's accountability. Three years this man didn't preach or teach or share the word. Maybe personally, one-on-one, you know, share Christ with the waitress or something at a restaurant or who knows what, waiter, waitress, whatever. But you know what? Three years. And after those three years, those men that gathered to him said, you're good, man. You're ready. And he got restored back into the ministry. And there was a church that he was serving at, and the pastor of that church, he was just sitting in the back just being a dude, you know. And the pastor said to him, hey, man, you want to teach on a Sunday or whatever? And he goes, well, I, I can. I'm free to do that. So he did that a few times. And the pastor said to him, hey, man, you want to take over the church? Because I'm out of here, man, and you're the guy. He goes, oh, let me pray about that. So he's back in the ministry again after three years. And he is accountable. It's the power of accountability. See, we need one another. <clears throat> James 5.16 says what? Confess your sins to who? One to another. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Why? That you might be healed. And so confession to God, yeah, 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 but confessing to one another brings healing. See, it's one thing for me to confess my sin to God. It's a whole other thing to humble myself and confess my sin to my brother then I really feel like an idiot. <laughs> but the Lord says it brings healing. It brings healing. Hey, man, you know, the other day, I want you to know that I was real mad at you, and I'm sorry I was wrong. Forgive me. Wow, that's healing. Hey, you know, the other day I said something, and, 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 and I think I, I, I came kind of harsh at you. I, I didn't, you know, the Holy Spirit's been convicting me. I didn't mean to do that. Oh, that's healing. Oh, oh, well, what if they don't receive it? That's not your job. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. Your job is to confess your sins. The Amplified Bible says, Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, and your sins. I love that. Your slips, false steps, your offenses, your sins. And pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. There are sins that I struggle with, and you know what? I am not free of that sin, even though I may have confessed it to God, until I confess it to my brother. Now, I don't have a bunch of dudes I do that to, but I got one or two. And I'm like, listen, man, we need to talk. I'm not, I'm not, I don't feel, of course I'm free in Christ, and I'm free this way, but until I get that brother next to me and say, here's what happened, man, pray for me. I don't feel free. Is that, good? Is that cool? Does that make sense? That's the connection we have with one another. All right. Okay, so accountable to one another. So this is how you walk the walk. You're not going to be perfect. Last week, you crucify the flesh. That's our, our flesh is crucified, but it's alive, unfortunately. It's not dead yet. When you die, your flesh dies with you. There will be, there'll be a day where there will be no more struggle. There will be no more sin 
there'll be no more of any of that. It'll, you'll see him face to face, and it'll be like, you know, glory, no more sin. You'll be in heaven. You'll be no sin, no temptation. You'll be walking in the fruit of the Spirit all the time. No anger, no lust, no whatever. Gone. Can you say amen to that? Some get excited about that. Some people still haven't quite got there yet, but that's all right. But for now, check your heart. Check yourself. You might have a, if you got a car with a leak, you better be checking that leak. If you don't get it fixed, you're going to run out of something and it won't be good. You have to check yourself. Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart. And then check your mind. How do we do that? Acts. Acknowledge any strongholds. Choose not to go there. The truth that you have memorized, submit to the word of God. Lastly, accountability to one another. Sometimes you need another brother to stand next, next to you. So I have, I've given you this, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through uh, 17. And I have some um, kind of, this is your assignment for this week. Um, things to do. In this, um, Romans 8 is just powerful, powerful scripture. Um, You'll notice some key words in here that are repeated. Verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the premise. You belong to Christ Jesus. So therefore there's no condemnation. There's no, there's no guilt. There's no shame. You are free from guilt and shame and condemnation. And because you belong to him, the power of the living life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Ah, that's what you were under before. You were under the power of sin that leads to death, but you've been set free from that by the Spirit of the Lord. The law of Moses, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. As much as I tried to follow the Ten Commandments, I tried to get it right, I tried not to steal. I try not to commit adultery. I try not to covet, but I'm always coveting. Ah, try it again. All right, next day. Man, why it again? Or, man, I, I had another God before him. Man, fell again. Try it another day. And the purpose of the law was to break you down so that you would recognize that you need grace. Go ahead, try to fulfill the law. You can't. There are legalistic Christians. And when you find a church that's full of legalism, you'll find a church that's seeped in sin because the law brings the acknowledgement or the recognition of sin. And the more you try to be legalistic, the further you get seeped in sin. And so the law breaks you down. It's a tutor. It's a, it's a, it's a, 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 a tutor. You know, someone when you're doing bad in math and you need to have a tutor to help you with math, then that person teaches you something. The, Holy, the, the law is a tutor to teach you that you need grace. Because the people who were trying knew they couldn't keep the law, knew they couldn't keep it. And then grace comes. They should have run to grace and said, oh, God, thank you. I'm free from the law. I'm not bound by the law. Man, I, I was doing horrible with the truth of the matter is I violated the law every day. Now it's grace. And the refreshing, deep breath. God, I'm accepted by you, not because I've kept the law or didn't, but by grace and grace alone. 
law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have as a, as a man. And in that body, God declared an end to sins. What's the next word? Control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice. of our. There you go, right there. And you know what? That word controlled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in this scripture. And after halfway, I stopped keeping track. It might be in there more. Seven times the word control or controlled is there. And who are you controlled by? Because we're either controlled by the Spirit of the Lord or by our, our sinful nature. One or the other. Christ lives in you. Uh, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, verse 5, think about sinful things. Those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. But the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It is. It never did obey God's laws and never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. But you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Didn't say you're perfect. You're not controlled by it. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Christ in you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. There's the key. Christ in you. Just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to our mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Did you hear that? You have no obligation to your flesh and your sinful nature. It does not have control over you unless you give it control. You have no obligation to the flesh. The flesh wants to do this, that, and the other. You say, hey, hey, wait a minute, man. You ain't calling the shots here, dude. No, 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 no. You're not balling like that. Listen, I got the Spirit of God living within me. It's not about, I don't care. You stomp your feet, roll around. You can scream all you want to, flesh. You ain't getting it. Because the Spirit of the Lord lives within me, and that's who's in charge. So you need to just go. You just need to go hide in a corner till tomorrow or till an hour from now or whatever, right? Because you walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the sinful nature of the flesh. Um... You know, uh, verse 13, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, so you, do not, so you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm and confirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs, in fact, Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we also share in his suffering. Amen. Anyway, here's your homework assignment. Things to do. Mark every occurrence of the word or, or, or uh, the pronoun God in this. Mark it any way you want to. There's no correct way to do it. You might put a capital G every place you see God. Um, yours is a little bit different. Um, yeah, every place you see God. And then every place you see Jesus, mark it. And what I do is I put like a cross 
like, you know, Jesus Christ, I put a red cross. And so I can look at this real quickly and tell you every place Jesus is mentioned, okay? All right, and then do the same thing for the Holy Spirit. Mark it somehow, however you want to mark the Holy Spirit. Every, read through, so you're going to read through this thing again and again and again and again. And guess what you're doing? You're feeding your spirit. You're feeding your spirit. You're feeding your spirit. And you start to memorize parts, and God starts speaking more. So you can read this thing 10,000 times. And on the 10,000 and first time, the Holy Spirit will show you something you didn't catch before. Something new, something you need for today. So mark it all. And then after you mark it all up, on a separate sheet of paper, put God on top of it, and then write out every sentence with God in it. And then you're going to be able to see everything that that scripture says about God and everything it says about Jesus and everything that he's done for you, everything that, that's a result of being in the Spirit of God. Make a list. Write it out. Write it out just as it's written here. Don't paraphrase it or some. Just write it out. And it's a lot of writing, but it's a lot of memory and it's a lot of food. This ain't, this ain't no fast food, folks. This is buffet food right here. All right? Um, <clears throat> when you're done with it, look at your list and summarize what you've learned. Summarize what you've learned. That's your homework assignment for this week. Um, help one another out. All right? Don't come back next week without that. I'm going to do it too. All right? You don't have to turn it in, though. And so um, let me ask you this question in closing. How do you get air out of this cup? If there was a way, if there's no way, if I got a vacuum, but it might crush the glass if I have a vacuum. How? Displace it? What does that mean? Huh? Put more air in it than it might burst. 